0: So pumped for that! Next weekend we are launching our Garner campus. If you live in the Garner Clayton area, or even if you don't, uh, you'd be doing yourself a favor just going to hang out with that amazing team and its amazing crew there. God's already doing some stuff behind the scenes, and I can't wait to see what God does at that new Garner campus. But uh, this is the last week of our series that we've been calling "Why, How, and What." And it's been an amazing time just remembering and rehearsing together as a congregation what it is that we're supposed to be doing as a church and why it is that God has called us to do that. Uh, We've talked about our vision and our mission here extensively. So our vision is to reach the triangle and change the world. And we think that we can accomplish that by loving people where they are and... Okay, maybe you need to re-listen to part... Two of this sermon series and encouraging them to grow in their relationship with Jesus, and we've gone uh, and done a deep dive on all of our uh, five marks or the five um, uh, indicators that we are growing in our life with Jesus. And when we are actually growing in our spiritual walk, we will find ourselves living obediently to God's word, serving selflessly, uh, connecting intentionally with others, giving generously, and eventually sharing our story and God's story with our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. So. In order to wrap up this series, I want to do something a little bit different than we've done in the past seven weeks. So I want to try to show you not how you go about growing or the actions that you need to be doing, and not why you should be doing those things to grow closer to Christ, but what this process feels like in the moment, what the life of a disciple is actually like in the midst of that process. And here's what I mean. This is not going to make any sense, but it will in like two minutes. I have been watching a ton of YouTube videos on ultra marathons. Have you heard about these things? It's not your dad's 26 miler. This is like 100 miles, 200 miles. Now, know this. I do not run. I actively try not to. So if you see me running on the side of the road, pull over and help me because something is chasing me. So. Um, But I read a book a while ago by a former Navy SEAL and Army Ranger, and this crazy dude, he runs multiple races a year that are 100 miles long, 200 miles long, one race that is 320 miles long. And I know that I will never personally run some of these races, but um, the idea of what would drive a person to put themselves through all of that pain has sort of drawn me down this YouTube rabbit hole. So I've watched like 50 or 100 videos on ultra marathons by now. Now, some of these videos are about how these races were created, like what went into the twisted mind of the inventor of this and what his plans were. Uh, Some of these are about the gear you need. So here's the shoes that you need to to run with that can withstand 300 miles. Or here's the food that you need to eat. Uh, Many of them are about the training that's involved. How you start off running 10 miles a week and then increase that slowly till you're running about 100 miles a week. And I feel like this is what this sermon series have, has been the past few weeks. It's been kind of similar to those videos. A lot of training, a lot of prep, a lot of here's what you need to do to prepare for your journey with God. Uh, but the most interesting videos, uh, the, my favorite videos, are the ones that actually follow a runner throughout the course of a 200-mile race. The ones where you actually get to experience the race with them from start to finish. And I think that these are the best videos because it gives you a feel for what, one, what running one of these crazy things is actually like. Uh, you get to see the optimism that they start off with. And you get to see how they handle themselves when their shoe breaks or when they veer off course. You get to see how their teammates help them at the aid stations. And you get to experience this emotional roller coaster that they go through throughout the course of this race. How about halfway through, they enter into what they all call the pain cave. Like they do this to themselves, but they enter into this pain cave where their body is literally breaking down under all the stress. Their kidneys are almost to the point of failure. And you get to see how they use these mental tactics to fight through that pain cave and to make it through the finish line. And so these videos are awesome because you get to go through the journey with them without breaking a sweat uh, so you know what to expect every single mile of the race. Again, not me personally, but crazy people that want to run this thing. You you have a realistic idea of what you're getting yourself into if you ever want to run one of these things. And so that's what I want to try to attempt to do this weekend. I want to show you what a growing relationship actually looks like and feels like along the way. I want to give you a realistic picture of what walking with Jesus is like so that you'll be prepared. And here's why. Uh, one thing, uh, in a church like Hope, and this is one of the things that I love about our church, but in a church like our church, we have hundreds if not thousands of people who are just beginning or re-beginning, restarting their walk with Jesus. And after a series like this, you've heard the mission and you've heard the vision. And you've you've had the five marks that you should be working on. You probably printed out that spiritual growth guide that we gave you last week. And I know that many of you have this amazing plan in place of how you're going to start walking with God from this point forward. And that's amazing. Do that. But if you're anything like I was when I first started out following Jesus, here is what you're probably thinking your journey with God over the next few years is going to look like. You put these plans in place, you follow out the five marks, and it's just an easy journey that's up and to the right, okay? But what people who have been following Jesus for years can attest to, and what I really want you to know is that your journey with God will actually look more like something like this, okay? It is not a smooth ride. It is not just up and to the right. It's up, and then it's down, and then it's up again, and then it's right, and then it's left, and then it's right again. And it's not hard, it's easy. Mike ended his message last week with something that was very similar to what a mentor of mine used to say. He'd always say, Chase, the life that God has called you to will always be harder than you first expected. But it will also be a thousand times better in the end than you could have ever dreamed. So Mike said last week, he said, there is a cost to following Jesus. Jesus. But man, do the rewards make up for that cost. And so I just want to drive that point home this weekend. That's what I want to unpack. Now, I don't have any YouTube videos that allow us to walk alongside someone's whole journey as they follow after God. But I do have the Bible. And the Bible actually gives us access to dozens of full lives of people that have chased after God. Stories where we get to experience a life of faith step by step. Through the whole journey, so we can know what we're getting ourselves into when we choose to follow Jesus. So, I want you to turn with me to the first one of these life stories that we encounter in the Bible, because really all the other stories of faith follow this basic pattern. And it's the story of Abraham. So, it's found in Genesis chapter 12. So, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the side screens. We're going to do a very, very brief survey of Genesis chapter 12 through 22. And as you're turning there, I just want to prepare you for the awesome display of alliteration that you're about to experience. Donnie Peters and I worked on this sermon together. And as we were outlining the life of Abraham, the first few words that we put up there started with D. And once we started, we just couldn't stop. So get ready for the eight D's of the life of faith. I'm not kidding. My Baptist parents would be very, very proud. So uh, one thing you need to know. Uh, There's two main characters in this story. There's a guy named Abraham, and there's his wife named Sarah. Now, they weren't always named that. God changes their name from Abram and Sarai, and I want you to know I'm not that smart. I used to do drugs, so I'm going to mix up all of these names throughout the course of it. Do not email me. But if you don't know Abram, uh, he was just a pagan guy that lived after the time of Noah in a town called Haran. And one day the Lord just randomly appears to Abraham, and this is what the Bible says. This is where his journey with God begins. It's in verse 1. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and ever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And this is how a life of faith starts. It always starts with a dream, the first D. It always starts with a promise. And Abraham gets a pretty amazing promise. God just shows up and says, Abe, you don't know me yet. You're going to get to know me, but I have an amazing offer for you. I am going to bless you. Like, really, really bless you. I want to take you and turn you into a great nation, the greatest that the world has ever seen and I want to give that nation a land to live in, and eventually all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of the way that I bless you. How's that sound? And I'm sure Abe was like, that sounds amazing. Now, I'm 75 years old. I was thinking about retiring and working on my bingo game, but this sounds a lot better, so sign me up for that. And that's how God's plan for your life will always start, with a big, huge dream, with an amazing promise. I remember vividly, When I was eight years old, I was standing right in front of the stage at a small church called First Baptist Church in Matthews, North Carolina, and it was right after an Easter cantata. I don't know what cantata means, but we used to have a lot of them, and I remember uh, for the first time in my life, I had been kind of discerning at eight years old, I'm not that good of a person. I'd been kind of discovering that the things I want to do, I didn't do, and the things I didn't want to do, that's what I found myself doing. And I was learning around that time in Sunday school that that's where everyone is, that we're born broken, that we're born prone to sin, that we're born separated from God. But what I heard that morning was that God would in his grace forgive all of my sin and love me unconditionally, that he would grant me eternity in heaven and until then a life of purpose and a life of joy. And it was that morning on Easter 1993 that I clearly heard and understood that amazing promise, that dream that we call the gospel. Some of you experienced that dream or that promise the first time like I did when you were younger. Some of you experienced that just in the past few weeks, but Abraham has one of these dream moments. Now you should notice that attached directly to this dream is also a demand, the second D. It's in verse one where he says, go from your country your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you and then I will make you into a great nation. So God's made Abram a promise, but Abraham has his part to play as well. And Micah has said this a lot recently. God is not just gonna show up and do something supernatural until you do your part. In order to get the dream, you have to meet the demands. Now there's two things about these demands that you should know that you see all over the Bible First, these demands, they usually go against common wisdom. They don't usually make sense at first. And secondly, they usually involve you being uncomfortable. So Abraham, leave everything that you know and love and walk into the desert. It doesn't make sense, and it involves some uncomfortable situations. It's how God is. When Jesus has that dream for his disciples and says, I'm going to make you great, but if you want to be great, you have to serve. You have to be the chief servant. That doesn't make sense to us. We think being great is having people serve us. But God says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Or we talked about this two weeks ago where God says, I am going to take care of every single one of your financial needs. But the demand is that you give at least 10% away back to my kingdom of everything that you make. And that doesn't make sense to us. We say, God, we could enjoy that 10% or we could invest that 10%. But that's the wisdom of this world. Things function differently in the kingdom of God than we're used to. And because we live in a fallen and broken world, the demands that God makes on our life will usually go against common wisdom. And secondly, these demands will usually involve you being uncomfortable. Uh, I remember when I, and you've heard my story before, um, when I first seriously started following Jesus in my early 20s, the first thing God demanded was that I give up drugs. And I I like drugs. Liked, past tense. I used to like drugs. They, not now. They were, uh, they were ruining my life, uh, but I didn't really know what to do without them. And so when God called me to follow after him, I was like, well, what am I supposed to do on Friday nights and Saturdays and Sundays and Mondays and Tuesdays? Like, you just want me to be sober? And he's like, yeah, that was uncomfortable. Forgiving someone is uncomfortable. Asking for forgiveness is uncomfortable. Serving someone is often uncomfortable. God's demands always call us out of our comfort zone and so God says to Abe God I'm going to bless you like you would never believe but I need you to leave your country where you have citizenship and certain benefits here I want you to leave your people where you know the customs and you have friendships I want you to leave your father's household where you have a family and a roof and food and water God's dream for his life demands that he get a little bit uncomfortable And one of the biggest reasons that God's demands are often hard is because he calls us not just into something uncomfortable, but into something unknown. Notice what God calls Abram to leave is very, very clear. I want you to leave your country and your people and your father's household. But what he calls him into is a complete mystery. I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Well, where is that? Well, you'll find out. When will I get there? When I tell you to stop. What's it like? You'll see. It's completely unknown. The author of Hebrews picks up on this in chapter 11 when he says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So for those of you that are just starting this journey with God, you have to understand God has an amazing promise of blessing for you. But in order to get that, he's going to demand that you move from the comfortable into the uncomfortable. From the known and into the unknown. So now Abraham comes to the third D decision. Is he willing to meet the demands in order to get the dream? And all of us in our journey with God will have hundreds, if not thousands, of these decision moments where the road that we've been walking down and the road that God wants you to walk down sort of divide. And you have to choose am I going to go left or am I going to go right? I'm going to stay on the road that I've been walking down, or, I'm going to, or am I going to change directions and begin to walk down the path that God has shown me? And when you're just starting out in this relationship, this journey with God, these decision moments can be incredibly hard. They sometimes get a little bit easier as you progress, but at first these are very, very challenging moments. And here's what I've learned from my own personal life, and from my years in ministry, the reason that these decision moments are so hard is because my natural instinct is to say, "God, I really want you to get involved in the life that I have planned, but God demands that we get involved in the life that He has planned." You see that? The defining moments of your life, the difference between experiencing all that God has for you or not, it comes down to these decision moments where you either say yes or you say no. And the difference between someone who's just starting their walk with God or who's been stalled in their journey with God and then someone who is mature, a mature Christ follower, who is falling hard after God and experiencing God's blessing and influencing the people around him, the difference between them is not some personality trait. It's not self-discipline or knowledge. It's much simpler than that. The difference between someone that's at the beginning of their walk and someone that's very far progressed is just a thousand little yeses during these decision moments. Where people that are still early on in their walk with God have this habit of still saying no to God's demands, and so they're saying no to his blessings, the mature Christ followers just learn this habit of saying yes during these decision moments. And this is where many of us stop or get stalled in our walk with God. I think this is probably where many of you are right now. Maybe you've been there for a while as well at this fork in the road. Let me ask you a hard question, and it's convicting to me as well, but when is the last time that you did something you didn't want to do just because God asked you to do it? That's hard. Let me ask you a harder question. If you've never done anything hard or difficult just because God asked you to do it, can you really say that you're following after God? I don't think that you can. You see, in order to get the dream, we have to move. We have to walk down the path that God has laid out. Abe had to leave his home and put one foot in front of the other and walk towards the promised land. And what I've been learning the past few years is that I often want to say, God, I'm going to stay right here, but I still want you to come and bless me. I'm going to stay right here, but I need you to bless my marriage or my finances or my jobs or my parenting. And when I do that, God says, no, 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 you come over here into blessing. What I'm learning is that blessing is not this this, this supernatural fairy dust that God can just add a dash here or a sprinkle there. It's like a destination. It's a place that when you decide to walk towards it, that's when you experience God's blessing. And so many times in my life I've gotten frustrated and I've said, God, you promised that you would bless me. And he's just responded, no. I promised that I would lead you to where blessing is. But you have to say yes. And you have to follow me. So these decision moments are crucial, and Abe faces an incredibly hard decision between verses three or four, but thankfully Abe decides to obey. The Bible says in verse four, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now we might want more there. There was probably a million things that went through his head and went through his heart. There's probably some doubts and some arguments and some sleepless nights, but notice God doesn't call attention to any of that. What matters to God is that God said, get going, and eventually Abraham went. And this is a crazy step of faith, is it not? Go walk into the desert when you're 75 to an unknown land in order to have some kids. Like, who does that? Abraham does that. Now look at what happens. Things don't turn out exactly like he expects. I'm sure Abraham was thinking, I'm just going to walk for a few days. I'm going to hit this amazing land that's just, that's just lush and flowing with milk and honey. That I'm going to take Sarah on some few dates. And then nine months later, we're going to have a kid, and I'm going to be living this dream in no time at all. But actually, what happens is he encounters his fourth—he uh, he encounters his first taste of difficulty, the fourth D. Isn't this fun, got four more. All right, uh, he walks for a few days, or for a few weeks or months—we don't really know the timeline—and he gets to this podunk town in the middle of a desert called Canaan. And I'm sure he's like, "Let's just get through this town as quickly as, we're, as possible." But as soon as he sent, hits kind of town center, God says, "Hey, pull over," and Abe's like, "Why?" And God's like, "This is it." And Abe's like, this is what? God's like, this is it. This is the land. This is your land. And Abe kind of looks around. He's like, I see a 7-Eleven and a cash for gold and a tractor supply. And that's about it. (laughs) This isn't exactly what I was expecting, but maybe God can spruce up the place. Let's unload the camels. And that's what he does. And he settles down in this weird town called Canaan. And he lives there for a while. We're not sure how long. But eventually, after living there for a certain season, things get even worse. A famine hits. He has no food. Now, in order to survive, you don't need a fancy house or like a movie theater or a mall, but the one thing you do need is food. So Abe finds himself between a rock and a hard place, and he doesn't know what to do. Like the 7 Eleven ran out of hot dogs two weeks ago, and God is not sending any manna, and his family is getting pretty hungry. And I'm sure he had these thoughts like we all do like, this is the dream? This is the blessing? This is difficult. Did I make a mistake along the way? Listen, this is so important that you hear this this weekend if you're just starting out with God or be reminded of it if you're further along. God's blessing for your life will usually look and feel different than you first thought that it would. There's been so many times in my life where in the moment, I wanted nothing more than to change the circumstances, to avoid the discomfort, but in hindsight now, Looking back, I have to say that was a blessing in disguise. That was necessary, and I'm thankful for it. We often think, if I do what God says, then my life will be blessed the way that I think it should be blessed. But experienced Christ followers know sometimes that's not the case. Most of the time, that's not how things work in God's kingdom. Sometimes God's blessing is actually a really hard circumstance, and you need to know that in order to be prepared. And if the difficult circumstances weren't bad enough, God, for some reason, is being silent. There's a delay, a fifth D. God doesn't say, stay, Abram, I'm going to give you food. And he doesn't say, go, find food on your own. He doesn't say anything at all. So Abram's stuck in this very uncomfortable and unclear position, just waiting. And some of you are probably in that spot right now. I've been there a few times myself. Some of you are second-guessing yourself and keeping yourself up at night, worrying about what to do. You went through with your part of the bargain, but God seems to have forgotten. And what, what, what you need to hear this weekend is that that is completely normal. Um, This is actually to be expected. I experienced tons of moments like this when we started our church up in the mountains, and all the people that follow after God in the Bible that you read about have to go through periods of waiting. Abraham had to wait 75 years before he got the promise, and he had to wait 25 more years before Isaac was born, the son of the promise. Jacob, Isaac's son, had to wait 14 years for his promise, his wife. Joseph had to wait decades and go through some really hard circumstances before God got him where he wanted them. The Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years before God delivered them. Waiting is a normal part of the Christian life. And if God puts you in a waiting pattern, it doesn't mean that he's forgotten you. It doesn't mean that he's not near and not present and not working behind the scenes. He remembers his promises. He just has a much different timeline than we do. And he has this weird quirk that I've learned about him. He always wants to provide for you in such a way so that there's no doubt that he is the one providing it, not you. And that always takes waiting. But this is the first time that Abraham has gone through a season of waiting and he doesn't handle it so well. So instead of just staying and waiting on the Lord to provide like he should have, he does what we often do and he takes matters into his own hands and he goes into DIY mode, the 6D. He leaves the land and he goes to Egypt because there's food there. And when he does this, when he goes into DIY mode, he unknowingly walks into an even greater problem than he had in Canaan. He makes his life much, much worse, which is what always happens when we take things out of God's hands and try to do it on our own. Apparently, Sarah is a stone-cold fox, okay? She's an extremely attractive lady. And Abe knows that when the Pharaoh sees her, he's gonna want her to be another one of his wives. So he's gonna want her to be in his in his harem. get this, she's 60 years old. So you guys got plenty of time, ladies, all right? But now, Abram's on his own. He's relying on his own wisdom and his strength. And so he comes up with this plan and tells Sarah, hey, uh, when Pharaoh approaches you and asks who you are, just tell him that you're my sister. Now, this is half true. Uh, Sarah is Abraham's half-sister. Don't ever tell me the Bible's not interesting. It is. But that way, when Pharaoh takes her into his harem, he's not going to kill Abram, and maybe Abraham's going to get something out of this deal. Now, in the moment, this might make sense. But in hindsight, this is the dumbest and most untrusting thing ever. Did God not say, I'm going to bless you? Abram, I'm going to turn you into a great nation. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. Well, then feeding him and keeping him safe are no big deal for God. It's part of the promise. But instead of trusting God, Abraham has a lapse of faith. He goes back to his own path. He starts relying on his own wisdom and strength and and decides to basically sell his wife to another man to save his own skin. And this is the Sarah from whom the promised nation is supposed to come. So he puts God's whole plan in jeopardy in this moment of disbelief. Well, God wants nothing to do with this. So in Genesis 12:17, it says this, the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way and with his wife and everything that he had. And Abram hits the seventh day, a dead end when he depended on his own strength and wisdom, when he left the path that God had told him to walk down, he hits a dead end. He's still in a foreign land. He still has no food, but now the most powerful man in the known world is angry at him, and I'm pretty sure his wife is a little bit as well. So his wife is a little bit on the rocks. But God, in his grace, he intervenes, and not for the last time, and he basically says, all right, Abe, let's try this again. And he goes back to square one. He goes right back to where he was before, to Canaan, to camping out in the desert and waiting on God. And this whole process starts over and it repeats and it repeats and it repeats. We don't have time to get into it, but um, his, his people become too numerous to live in just Canaan alone. And so he decides to split the land with his nephew Lot. So he takes him up on a mountain and says, Lot, you pick east or west, I'll pick what you don't pick. And Lot picks the lush green land to the east and Abram's left with even worse desert than he had before and then Lot gets into trouble and Abe has to go rescue him against the armies of three kings. This is difficult stuff. And then Sarah, his wife, seems to be barren. She can't have kids so there's a delay to God's plan. So him and Sarah go into DIY mode and he tries to have a a baby with one of her servants, Hagar. And Hagar conceives and gives birth to Ishmael and God says, that is not the son of the promise. The son will come from Sarah and he hits a dead end And this happens over and over and over again in Abraham's life. And you can read about it this weekend. It's a crazy story. But the big thing that sticks out as you read his story is that through this crazy process, through all of these repetitions of all of these Ds, because God takes him on a journey that is not up and to the right, but filled with difficulty and delay and dead ends, through that promise, Abraham begins to change. Slowly, he begins to to trust in the promises of God. Slowly, God's demands don't seem that crazy to Abraham anymore. He doesn't labor over the decisions. He's not surprised by the difficulty or the delay. And so as this process of dream, demand, difficulty, delay, play out over and over again, Abraham changes. And by the time Isaac is born, the son that God promised him, when Abraham was 100 years old, he is a completely different person those yeses to God's demands come easier and more frequent. And we see this clearly in chapter 22, where God gives Abraham the biggest demand of his life. He says, Abraham, this is my last test, but I want you to sacrifice Isaac. I want you to give him to me. God asks him the seemingly impossible. I want you to sacrifice your son. And this is a far greater demand than march out into the desert. This is a far greater demand than just wait in Canaan until I provide for you. This is sacrifice, your only son. But in that moment, we see a completely different man. Abe just instinctively and immediately says, yes. And you can read the story in chapter 22 in verse 6. It says, Abram took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together. And Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. You see that trust? And the two of them went on together, and when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And you read this, and honestly, it's just a shocking story. Like I kind of understand how a 75-year-old man would hear the voice of the Lord and walk out into the desert. I kind of understand how a man would be so obedient that he could wait patiently for 25 years for a son to be born. I understand that, but how in the world could Abraham do something as crazy as this, as sacrifice his son? How could he say yes to this demand? Well, it's because over the past 25 years, through a journey that wasn't up and to the right, but through difficulty and delay and demand, he's gotten to know his God. And that's the point. He's seen him be faithful time after time, no matter how crazy or uncomfortable his demands. He's able to do this because though he may not know the path that God's called him to walk down or the difficulties that he'll face, he knows and he trusts the God that's leading him. And that's God's goal for you and me. In fact, this whole story from chapter 12 to 22 is not mainly about Abraham it's mainly about the faithfulness of God especially in chapter 22 you see this isn't just a random thing that God asked Abraham to do Abe is actually acting out a scene that would play out again thousands of years later where another father with his only son would walk up a hill but this son's name would be Jesus and that son would climb up not an altar but a cross But during this scene, the father would actually go through with the sacrifice. His son would die. And in that moment, he would prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the God that calls us to follow him through difficulty and delay and seeming dead ends, that this God loves us with a love that is so deep and so wide and so high and so strong that he is willing to give up the one thing that he loves the most, his son, so that he could provide for us the one thing that we need the most, forgiveness and mercy and grace and a relationship with him. And I know some of you are in, are in a situation or circumstances that, that I couldn't even imagine. But listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, along with salvation, along with eternity in heaven, how will he not also graciously give us everything that we need? And that's the God that Abraham has come to know. That's the God that we follow, this powerful, sovereign, loving, faithful God. And we see that Abraham has finally moved into the area where God's blessing truly is. It's the last D, it's dependence. That's where God's dream for our life really is. When we come to a place of complete and total trust and dependence of God, that's when we experience the promise, when those yeses just come naturally. That's when we get to a point where we look back at all of the sacrifices and all of the dead ends and all of the hard times and we just say, worth it. It's been worth it. The sacrifice has been worth it. I didn't know it at the moment because I couldn't see the journey from back there, but but now I'm experiencing something that I could have never dreamed up on my own. Now, there's lots more stuff that I could say and probably will in sermons in the coming months and years, but um, that's a rough view of what a life of following after Jesus looks like and feels like. It can be confusing. It can be bewildering. There absolutely is a cost, but the rewards are well worth it. And hopefully some of you that are just starting out are a little bit more prepared. now. The New Testament authors pick up on this, and they call this whole process different things. Jesus calls it taking up your cross and following after him or living life in his kingdom. Paul calls it walking by the Spirit or keeping in step with the Spirit. John calls it this movement from darkness to light. The author of Hebrews calls it walking by faith, but it's all the same thing. It's all the same process. And this is the process of your whole life. From the moment you say yes to that dream to the moment you open your eyes and see Jesus in eternity. But what you need to know is that this whole process can play out in a day. Or it can play out in a week. Or it can play out in a month. And I want to kind of give you handles of how this works in your life. This is how it commonly works in my life. Like I'll be sitting on the couch one day and I'll be having like an imaginary argument with my wife. And I'm definitely winning. And uh, we've been kind of in a rough patch in our marriage And God will just kind of tap me on the shoulder and he'll say something like, Chase, I got a dream for you. I I want to give you an amazing marriage. A marriage that just gives you life and joy and strength where your wife Jenny feels loved and you feels loved. And I'm like, "If you can pull that off. That's awesome. Let's go with that. It's a lot better than where we're at now. And then he says, but in order for that to happen, I'm going to need you to serve her sacrificially and lay down all of your rights and privileges and defer to her and honor her. And I'm like God. I'm glad you didn't lead with that. That doesn't sound too uh, intriguing. I kind of like it when she serves me, but maybe you know better. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but let's try it. So that afternoon, I kind of pick this kids up from school, and I do the dishes the way that she likes them. I put the forks upside down. I don't know why she does that. That's crazy to me, but I do it. I load it the way that she likes it. Some of you are like, "Yeah, that's the way you load it." Yeah. So I do that. I clean the floors. I Swiffer. I dry Swiffer, and I wet Swiffer the floors. I cook dinner. I put the kids to bed all by myself. And then I walk downstairs, and my wife is kind of cuddled up in bed. And I cuddle up right beside her, and guess what happens? Nope. Not that I wish that happened. She doesn't even notice. She doesn't say a word. In fact, she has the audacity to ask me to fill up her cup of water and to plug in her phone. So I go to bed just angry. My like, God, it's been four hours, and my marriage is not fixed. I give up. I'm going to go back to doing things the, the way that I've always done them. But then I kind of second guess myself and I, have a, I make another decision. I'm just going to say yes one more time. And I try my best to love and serve her the next day and the next day, depending on God for his strength, obeying him and trusting him with the consequences. And honestly, it doesn't seem like a lot changes, but a few weeks go by and a few months go by. And we're sitting on the couch and my stomach hurts because we've been laughing so much and we had a great date night. And this thought occurs to me, my marriage is in a completely different place than it once was. How'd that happen? When did that happen? Well, it happened over the course of a hundred little yeses. It happened as step after step into some pretty unknown and difficult terrain turned into mile after mile, and now my marriage is in a completely different place than it once was. And I'm, I'm experiencing God's promises, and once again, God has proved himself to be faithful. And I'll thank him for that, and I'll lay down to go to sleep, and God will interrupt me and say, Chase, I wanna give you a relationship with your daughters that is life-giving and impactful, and I know there's a demand coming But before God can even get there, my heart just responds with, yeah. Yeah. You know better than I do. You've proved yourself faithful. I'm going to keep following you. And that's what a growing relationship with Jesus looks like. So, what's the decision that you need to make today? What's that yes that you finally need to give God? And the cool thing is I don't even— probably have to give you any examples because you know exactly what it is you've been thinking about it for the past 20 or 30 minutes it's been that elephant in the room for the past few weeks or past few months or past few years it's that one area where you're still relying on your own power and your own plans and you're not experiencing God's blessing what's that yes that you need to make to God today maybe That yes is to take that very first step like I did in 1993 and say yes to Jesus and his love and his forgiveness. Listen, Jesus has done absolutely everything needed to give you God's promise in your life, to make that reality. He lived the life that you're trying to live and can't live. He died the death that you deserve to die because you're a sinner and he's a holy God. You can't create that life of purpose and meaning, and joy, only God can do that. That takes forgiveness and relationship with your heavenly Father, and it takes a process through difficulty, and delay, and dream, and dependence, and I would just encourage you this weekend, don't wait any longer. Say that yes to God today. It's the best decision that you'll ever make. Would everyone bow with me? If that's you, if maybe you need to decide to follow after Jesus. Would you just pray this prayer after me? Something like this. There's not a magic prayer. There's no magic to these words, but just pray, Father, I've been walking my own road for far too long and I heard this weekend about the dream that you have for my life, that I can have forgiveness, that I can have a restored relationship with you, that you can heal me, that you can deliver me from bondage, that you can bring me freedom, that you have an amazing dream of purpose for my life. And so, Father, this weekend, I just want to say yes. I'm done saying no. I want to experience your blessing. So I say yes, would you forgive me? And would you help me start this amazing and incredible journey following after you? Keep your heads bowed if that's you. You just made the best decision ever. Um, I'd encourage you to tell someone if you're at our Apex campus, go to the light bulb wall if you're at our Morrisville or Raleigh campus. Just go to the Next Steps area and share that with someone. But Father, I pray for everyone else in this room. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's true. I thank you that it's given in love. Father, I pray for those that are in just some difficult situations. I pray that they would have hope. I pray for those that might be angry at you this weekend. Because you're not blessing them in the way that they would like to be blessed. I pray that you would just give them perspective, that you give them a little bit of hindsight, that you'd allow them to see why this journey is actually bringing them to a point of dependence, which is where you want them. And Father, I pray that you would all just reinvigorate us and give us just supernatural energy just to chase after you. So Father, I look forward um, just to seeing the fruit um, that you cause through all of these different thousands of journeys. Um, that are in front of me. And we love you and we praise you. That's in Christ's name. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find out ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in in their relationship with Jesus.